Brian McClanahan Show, episode 197. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan. Go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, McClanahan.com. Give me an email address, and I'll give you a free ebook and audiobook. You'll also get on my email list, and you won't get many. You'll get some, but they are worthwhile because I often include deals in those emails. You can support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll, but I do have courses for sale. And since this is the last podcast of the year of 2018, I am offering a deal for all of my podcast listeners. Now, if you're on my email list, you already know this, but I know there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are not on the email list. So if you go to mclanahanacademy.com and you use the promo code CHRISTMAS, I'll knock 15% off any of my McClanahan Academy courses. That is the course on the war, the course on secession, the course on the declaration, the course on the Constitution or American Constitutions, and the course on Alexander Hamilton. So you've got five courses there. I'll knock 15% off by using the coupon code CHRISTMAS. All you got to do is go to mclanahanacademy.com, enroll, and then purchase one of the courses. This is good until the end of the year, December 31st. So if you're listening to this anytime between December 21st and December 31st, you can go ahead, and that's Eastern Time, midnight Eastern Time, December 31st, you can go ahead and get that deal 15% off. So if you get some cash for Christmas and you want to spend it, or if you want to give yourself a gift for Christmas, go on out to mclanahanacademy.com. It is going to be worth your while to get 15% off of those courses. Also, you can support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to learntruehistory.com. When you go there, there's also a deal until uh, Christmas. If you use the coupon code XMAS, X-M-A-S-18, you get 35% off of that website. So go to learntruehistory.com, use the coupon code X-M-A-S-18, and you get 35% off your membership to that fine website, which also features yours truly uh, in, in several of the courses that are taught there, along with other great professors like Tom Woods, Kevin Goodsman, Brad Berzer, Jason Jewell, Jeff Herbner, uh, Bob Murphy. you got a, a whole stable of, uh, of great professors there at learntruehistory.com. All right, so this is the last Brian McClanahan Show of 2018. I'll be back the week of January 7th. So I'm going to take off from now until... Uh, January 7th, 2019. So I want to talk about uh, a topic that I think is interesting for this time of year, and that's tradition. Now, it's something I've discussed before on this particular podcast, but I want to look at it in regard to history. And it's something that I've been thinking a lot about recently, but it's we've seen the attack on Christmas. Of course, there's the baby, it's cold outside, now you can't sing that song. I mean, the, the, the arguments, the things that are happening now in the uh, the politically correct world are, are almost laughable, but you can't sing that song now. Uh, Merry Christmas, of course, has been out for many years. Now you have to say Happy Holidays or whatever the case may be. You don't want to offend anybody by saying Merry Christmas. It's just silly. If you're a Christian, say Merry Christmas. That's what you believe. There's a wonderful piece on this over at the AbbeyvilleInstitute.org uh, by John Devaney, uh, the Neo-Puritan Attack on Christmas. 
And he gets into this idea of you know, where this stuff comes from, the agnostics and, and their attack on anything that is uh, traditional. But a lot of this actually has to do, I think, with history, uh, the reduction of history to a social science. Now, why, why do I think it has to do with that? I mean, you go into your, to your colleges, your universities, you go into your high schools, and often history is regarded as a social science. Where I work, I'm in the division of social sciences. Uh, so it's considered, it's classified as a social science, but I think this is entirely incorrect. Uh, and, and it actually diminishes the importance of history and places it in with a group of disciplines that have nothing to do with tradition. And that would be psychology, sociology, and of course political science, along with others. But those are the three big ones. They really have nothing to do with history. And this is not to knock some of the great people that have uh, been sociologists or psychologists or political scientists. Uh, because I, I mean, we, we're kind of funneled into those areas now. And of course, one of my favorite sociologists is William Graham Sumner, who was a great critic of American culture, in particular American, particular American foreign policy. Uh, his, uh, his essay on the conquest of the United States by Spain following the Spanish-American War is one of the best it's ever written. Uh, but Sumner was a, a perceptive critic of what was going on in the United States. And so sociologists have had a role at times. But then you have also people like Lester Frank Ward, who was a disaster for American culture and society, whose belief that because humans understood evolution, they could control evolution with the government. I mean, this is one of the, the core principles of modern progressives. Evolution exists, so what we're going to do is we're going to pass laws that will mitigate the impacts of evolution. we got to make sure we level society. Can everybody do it too well? Because that's, that's, uh, that's immoral. Of course, all that happens is you get a certain class of people that are reduced and another class of people raised to the top. Uh, we saw this in the Soviet Union. We saw it in Cuba. We saw it anywhere where you have command communism. I mean, it's, it's, it is inevitable that you're going to have this happen because you cannot take away human nature. And no doubt, fields like psychology have made great advancements in understanding uh, the human brain and how people think. Uh, these, are, these are vital contributions to Western society. But, but, there's a caveat to that. And that would be that these particular disciplines, and political science is also one of these, because you have the individuals in political science who simply view politics as uh, a, a way to control or how do you control society. Um, in other words, how do, we, how do we herd people into particular situations? And, and you see this now with data collection, data mining. Uh, the, one of these Silicon Valley bigwigs has decided he's going to set up a data mining operation for the Democrats to ensure that they go out, and, and Republicans are doing this too. It's not just the Democrats. I saw an article on this the other day to ensure that they can can gather enough data and cater their releases to influence people to vote certain ways. Uh, this is the Gruber effect. You know, People are so stupid, you can tell them anything. You can lie to them. It doesn't matter as long as you cater the lie in the proper way to make people believe it, and then we're going to do something else. It's the old bait and switch. Because they have the data, this is, this is the part of the... Uh, of political science that's so seedy because they have the data to underscore. And this is also sociological and 
psychological, to, to underscore and also undergird their positions to ensure that what they want will happen because they know people tend to do things certain ways. So uh, that's a science. But why is history not a science? And I think this gets to the heart of why history is not being valued as much as it used to be, uh, why history is, is uh, becoming a field that's dying in colleges and universities. There are now universities that don't offer it as a major. Um, and that would have been seen as preposterous uh, six, 700 years ago, 500 years ago, even 100 years ago. Uh, to not have history as a major and a discipline that people should value and use. Now, there's several reasons for this, and I've seen a lot of a lot of articles recently on why history is falling apart as a major. Part of that is because people think they need a quote unquote usable degree. And I remember when I was going through college, this was I was approached with this dozens of times. What are you going to do with that? You're going to major in history. What are you going to do with that? We look at history as a field that cannot be used once you get out of school. And that's because what we're trying to do is train people like robots or automatons to go out and do some job. You know, we're going to train you to do this job. We're going to train you to do this job. And what history allows you to do, it really is the granddaddy of all subjects, and I'll explain that in a second. What history allows you to do is maximize your talents. Now, you do need to make an income. And so a lot of people that major in history can then go use that degree to go do something else, say it's going into law or even medicine. Uh, there are things you can do with history as a basis. It, you learn how to research. You learn how to write. You learn how to think critically. These are important skills when you go out and look to get a job, whether it's in business, whether it's in uh, a hard science, whether it's in the law. These are important things that you need to be able to do to maximize your talents, whether it's in marketing. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do with history. History, though, is not a science. History is not a social science. We don't start with a hypothesis and then work backwards. Now, you do if you're a Marxist. If you're a Marxist, I mean, this is where Marxism has skewed the study of history because Marxism does start with a hypothesis. There's class conflict, or there is conflict, and let's find the conflict and then find the data to support the conflict. So whether it's class conflict, whether it's gender conflict, whether it's racial conflict, uh, whether it's, uh, take your pick, of some type of, of socioeconomic conflict, you're going to have conflict and we're going to work backwards to find that conflict and that is going to prove where this conflict comes from, comes from. And that is the conflict position of history. There's conflict that leads to consensus. But what is that, that conflict drives everything, and it's based on race, class, or gender. That's the Marxist position, and you're going to find it, and you see it all the time. Uh, you see it all the time. History is one big battle over race. History is one big battle over uh, the have and the have-nots. History is one big battle of men versus women. That's all, that's all we have. And I think people get tired of that particular narrative, which is why history is fading. Uh, I was reading a review of a book on Amazon. I was just looking through the reviews. And one of the, one of the uh, reviewers said that they were a social science teacher <laughs> in high school. And they couldn't believe that people didn't get 
just stark raving mad and want to go out and change the world because of history. Well, that's not what history is supposed to be for, you see. History is there for an understanding of humanity. Uh, the study of history and where it became an, an essential field actually goes back to the Renaissance period in what's called the Studio Humanitatis, which is the humanities. And when you go and you take your first two years at university or a college, you get your humanities areas out of the way. Now, your liberal arts education. Now, within that, you'll also have your hard sciences, your math and science. But the Studia Humanitatis actually focused on several things. It focused on grammar, it focused on rhetoric, and it focused on logic and history. Also, they wanted the, 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 those that foster this type of curriculum, what we call the Latin school now, also wanted you to read poetry and moral philosophy, in addition to music and arithmetic. But music was considered to be a mathematics. Um, but it still was an art. Okay. So, history was viewed as vital in this particular process because it gave you an understanding of man. You understood what man has done and thus what man is. Culture was part of that, of course, and you would study cultures of people, but it was not in a sociological construct where uh, it became a science. It was in an understanding construct where you simply documented what people had done to understand human beings. And it was secular. Uh, the idea was to divorce some of human history from religion, which... Uh, up until Herodotus, almost all of history was portrayed in a religious way. And, of course, the Greeks were the masters of this. Uh, but Herodotus wrote the first secular narrative history with his Persian Wars. And then, of course, uh, as the Catholic Church, Christian Christianity became involved. A lot of history started being portrayed in a Christian way. So the, the humanists wanted to place human values and institutions in their context, to study man for what man is, and divorce it from religion. Now, uh, it didn't mean that they didn't talk about religion. It didn't mean they didn't try to understand religion and try to understand humanity with religion, but they didn't view it through the lens of religion. Now, how are the social sciences disrupting this? And I think this is an important question, one that really needs to be explored, I think, in greater detail. Um. When you look at the field of psychology, for example, psychology studies the normal and the abnormal, though this idea of abnormal is, is I'm starting to question whether psychologists even believe in this anymore, uh, that really everything is normal in the human activity. What, no matter, in their mind, abnormal will then be a social construct, not a psychological construct, but a social construct. So see, in that way, it's already the enemy of tradition. Because tradition does create social constructs. There are, tr there are normal and abnormal things in a tradition. There are things that people do and have done over time. And one of the problems that we have when people attack tradition, they don't, and, and I've mentioned this before on this particular podcast, they don't ask the question, why is that tradition there? And we simply accept maxims as reality in the social science construct without questioning whether they're valid or not. And the, the, that question has to come from tradition. Um, why were people given certain roles in society to begin with? 
whatever those roles were. Why were there fences placed between people and institutions? Why did they do that? And they did that because of the study of history. They understood that you could maximize society, the talents of society, the benefit of society, to the benefit of society for putting people in positions where they would succeed and do the best work. It didn't mean that people were, and of course, this is where some of this became skewed, that people were were naturally better at certain things than others because of their race, class, or gender. And I think that's where uh, we some of this started to fall apart because it started to be defended in that way as a, because the attack came from that position. Uh, but the, the construct was put there because this group of people, uh, for a variety of reasons, um, was suited to do this. Or uh, men were suited to do this and women were suited to do this other thing. This, this is where history comes into understanding. It is tradition. Now, we can question whether these traditions are valid, and I think these are good things to do. Well, should that should we do this, or should we, should we have this tradition or not, based on our understanding of society today? Does this work? Is this best for society now? Was this particular position where this group of people couldn't do this, just because they were that group of people, is that a valuable position for society? So those are, those are perfectly valid questions, but that's not generally the way we do it. We simply attack it based on, well, it's not fair, or and the fairness, this idea of fairness, because there's normal and abnormal, and this is what everything is normal. Now, the psychologist will tell you that, uh, certain, for example, certain phases in life there's normal, and certain phases in life there's abnormal, or everything is normal, and if you don't like that, well, then change it. Or if you don't like it, let's give you some medication to change that. Uh, and there is normal behavior. And then what we need to do is use medication to make sure this normal behavior is followed. So, for example, I mentioned this on the, the podcast of the episode I just did on metal music. You know, boys, by, by nature, if you go back and you look at history enough, you'll understand men have a certain natural inclination to do things. Well, that doesn't fit within the constructs that we have today, so let's medicate those boys and say they have ADHD, whatever the case may be. So this idea of psychology, um, this question of normal, that everything is normal, is a challenge to tradition. It's a challenge to, say, uh, Christmas, for example. Christmas is a tradition. It's the Christ Mass. It's a tradition handed down through generations to celebrate an event that is the anchor of the Christian faith, the birth of Jesus to the Virgin Mary. By attacking that, you're saying, well, that's not a normal construct today uh, because of X, Y, and Z. The mind has created these things and these constructs, and they did this over time. And so uh, if you don't like that, well, then that, that's fine uh, because anything that challenges that is still normal. Whereas society has accepted that this particular tradition is valuable for society, and for a variety of reasons it was valuable because it recognized the beauty of Christianity, and that beauty of Christianity was peace. If you think about the core of what Christmas is about, it's peace. And when you have violence, 
and humans have been naturally violent. This is a challenge to that particular part of humanity. It is a move in a direction, trying to move people into a different direction. Let's accept peace, for example. And use another current event in this. Trump, the Trump administration, Donald Trump himself, has said he's going to bring the troops out of Syria and thinking about drawing out of Afghanistan. And doesn't matter, the neoconservatives and the progressive left have criticized this move because, again, well, first of all, because it's Trump. I mean, this is one of the reasons why they're doing it. If, if Obama had said these things, they would have been cheering it all over. Yes, thank you, we're going to bring the troops home. But now because Trump is doing it, well, you, we're gonna, oh, this is bad for America. This is bad. We can't do that. But at the at its core, what he's looking at here is a is a very principled, traditional, conservative, Christian position of advancing peace and moving away from empire. But that's considered to be abnormal now. It's considered to be abnormal. Uh, the American position is not one of peace. But when you look at history as a humanity, it would be the normal position in some ways for for people overall we know that history has been violent we know people engage in violence but governments engage in those violence kings central states most humans avoid it they avoid violence when they can people just simply want to go through their lives uh, become as happy as possible and avoid violence nobody really likes it for, I mean, well, some people do. Most people, though, are forced into it for a variety of reasons. And they're forced into it through psychological constructs or sociological constructs. And at times, of course, this comes down to culture. When you look at the Vikings, it's a very violent culture. So the Vikings had violence at their core. But for many people, the idea was simply just leave us alone. We just want to live our lives. And the humanities fosters that particular view. It fosters a belief that there is good in the world, I think, as you read enough history. There's also bad, and you're not shocked by anything that people do because you know that people do horrible things to each other. But on the other hand, this traditional study of humanities as history as a humanity and looking at the big picture of the long durée of society the long durée of society, is an important part of understanding who we are, remembering who we are as a people, celebrating culture, celebrating the traditions that have gotten us to the point where we are in the human existence. Now, history is the granddaddy of all subjects because everything that you study beyond that, when you go to school, let's say you take a hard science and you study biology. You're studying the history of biology. Unless you go on to an advanced degree and you're starting to make research as your field and you're making new discoveries in biology or sci any, any of the sciences, you are simply studying the history of that science. Same thing with mathematics. You're not making any new equations or coming up with any new discoveries in mathematics. You're, sub you're, you're studying stuff that's already been done, equations that have already been found, proofs that have already been done. This is all you're doing in mathematics. It's the history of mathematics, literature, music, art. All of these fields are simply just history in a subset of history because you are studying what man has done and thus what man is. 
which I think is a, is a great uh, phrase for understanding the humanities and history in general. You're studying what man has done and thus what man is. And so you can glean from that a view of man and the world. Now, history as a weapon, the social science teacher that stands up and says, and, and the, con- the, con- the context of it was that she was reading a book on slavery and why people just aren't stark raving mad. They're not outraged by this, by slavery in the 19th century. And they just want to go out and do something now. Do what? Do what now? Slavery is over in the United States. So why get outraged by it now? This is the other part why why people are stopping. They just don't enjoy history as much because we're supposed to get outraged by something and we're supposed to go out and do something about it. Now, on this this podcast and at times, I'll talk about examples from history and say, you know, this is what was intended to happen. It's not what's happening now. It's what intended we, we intended to happen. We have examples that say, you know, people are going to do these things. Maybe we should try not to do that. Um, you know, the, the Roman Empire tried to expand out and, and wage war against everybody, and that didn't work out too well for the Roman Empire. The Spanish did it. The British did it. The French did it. Everybody did it. Why are we doing it? It doesn't really make good sense for America to do these things. It doesn't make good sense. We know what centralization does. It doesn't make good sense to be a centralizer. It's not that I get angry about, and I don't get angry about anything in the past. The past is the past. It happened. Why get angry about it now? And her thing was, of course, this, this reviewer is because so many things that happen today are based on history. Well, this is true, but you're looking at it in the wrong way. Uh, most people are doing things now because they don't have an anchor to history. They're, they're not anchored anywhere. They're just making decisions without understanding history. Without understanding what has happened in the past. And uh, to be critical of the past from the 21st century position is presentism, and it's a horrible thing to do. We can't condemn people in the past from our modern perspective because we didn't live in the past. They were making decisions based on the time in which they lived, and and, uh, 200 years from now, people are going to do the exact same thing to us. Why weren't they doing this? Why weren't they doing that? Where is the moral outrage in this? Why were these people morally outraged? Because they were people of their time. And these are the things that they accepted, and these are things that they did. Maybe these traditions were valuable. Maybe they still are valuable today. We just have decided we're bigger and better than any of that. The social sciences create this mess, though, because they look at everything as a hypothesis, and then you build off that hypothesis. And there is only normal. And the normal might be, in traditional terms, might be abnormal, but because it's psychological, it's normal. Or you might have a group that's abnormal in terms of traditional society, but because of our understanding of psychology, well, then you have, it becomes normal. And to say it's not is somehow now violating the tenets of humanity. To say these people aren't really normal. What they're doing is not normal at all. What they're doing might be a mental illness, uh, because tradition shows that. Now, it's and I, I, another thing that it is an issue, of course, I know that in the past, when you read, there, people were, were not happy in the past, and of course people wanted to change things, and people wanted to try new things, and people didn't like tradition, and all these other things. But when you take that anchor out of the water and you remove tradition, this is when people become very unhappy, because they don't understand. You tell them, a psychologist would tell them, well, this is 
I mean, you know, this is something that's happening to you. Well, you know, change it. Change what's going on. Take a medication. Change what's happening. Maybe what's going on is because of tradition. You need to understand the tradition, and then you would accept certain things in society as beneficial in the bigger view. It's stoicism in many ways. But that's in a philosophical construct. And of course, if you studied the Studia Humanitatis, if you took a Latin-based curriculum, you would study moral philosophy. You would study history. You would study the languages and the arts. You would study arithmetic. You would study these things. So you would have a different grounding in society. And you would understand normal is traditional. That is normal. Anything that deviates from that is not really normal. And traditions have been handed down over time. And people use history as an example over time to make better decisions for now based on what they could see human beings doing correctly and incorrectly in the past. Not out of outrage, but out of saying, you know, that that didn't work out too well. But that is why history is valuable. It used to be history was seen as a valuable uh, field if you wanted to go into business or government, because you had to have an understanding of the past to understand where we're going in the future. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to close 2018 with this particular idea with this particular theme, social science versus history, because I am a historian. I believe history is a humanity, not a social science. I don't think there's any hypothesis and you work your way backwards. You find the evidence of the story. You tell the story for what it is without any type of presentism looking at it. Now, the books that I've written, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, etc., etc., are based on, and people think I'm passing judgment on these individuals without looking at it from historical context. No, I'm, I'm saying Hamilton screwed up America because he deviated from his own words on what he said about the Constitution and how people ran with that over time. He created the blueprint. Now, people looking at this from history, but they're doing it using history as a weapon. That becomes problematic. Nine presidents. You had uh, 13, actually, in the book who didn't follow their oath of office as defined by the founding generation. Even Washington himself did some things that were questionable as president. So that's where history is valuable. To say, you know, you had these people and they did these things, and we can say they did these things wrong, so maybe we should not do those things in the future. But it's not working from a hypothesis that there's a conflict here and it's caused by X, Y, and Z. Um, when I say that the Constitution is dead, I actually point to 1789 when it died, and people have just shredded it ever since. I mean, it's, it's almost pointless to talk about the thing anymore because it doesn't really exist in any formal way and on our understanding of the founding, under, the, the ratifying understanding of what the Constitution was. That, that Constitution has been dead for a long time. But that's where history is valuable and important. And it's not a science. It's a study of humanity. And out of that study of humanity, you do find good things to take as, as examples, rotten things through and through to avoid, as, as Libby said. You find those things. But you don't work backwards with an assumption and then try to prove your data or have the data disprove that. That's, that's not what you do. You read the sources, and they begin to speak for themselves and who these people are. 
and we gain an understanding of our patrimony, our traditions, and it's a fuller understanding of life. And I think that's what people are missing now. When they reject Christmas, they're rejecting a fuller understanding of life. Traditions are beautiful. Some traditions, we could say, I mean, all traditions have good and bad. But traditions tend to be beautiful things because they've been built over generations on valuable experiences. And when people begin to reject that, that's when they start to feel depressed. That's when they start to feel like they don't fit. And they're looking at society, looking around. They're saying, well, these people don't do what I do. These people aren't doing that, X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And so I'm not going to be happy about that. But that is where tradition and understanding roles and fences, this is what they're actually designed to make you happy not sad, to have you avoid things that are bad or dangerous. And to keep you in the traditional normal. So that's it for 2018. I've got a lot of great ideas for 2019. I have asked at times, you know, what do you want to hear in a podcast? You may, there may be a point in 2019. I haven't decided 100% yet where the Brian McClanahan show is going to be doing interviews, which I think would be fun. Uh, but I haven't decided if I'm going to do that yet 100%. But, of course, beginning in uh, the week of January 7th, 2019, I'll be back with my twice-a-week podcast. I'll be uh, resting up for the next couple of weeks, but we'll be back at it and hopefully have and give you over a, a 100 episodes next year on the Brian McClanahan Show. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the show over this past year. It's been a great year. Uh, I've really enjoyed the interaction. Um, I've really enjoyed your support. Those of you that had sent that have sent some money to me, uh, whether it's uh, you know by check or on PayPal, whatever it is to support the podcast, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, those of you that purchased McClanahan Academy courses, again, I hope you enjoy those, and I greatly appreciate that you do, uh, you doing that. And I look forward to a very happy and uh, productive 2019 with every one of you. And have a very merry Christmas. And a very happy new year from the Brian McClanahan Show. And I will see you next time.